You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness, your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. Father, please make such a familiar passage to us fresh and new to our hearts. Amen. You may be seated. You know, we said at the start of uh, this journey through Psalm 23 that, you know, John 3.16 is probably the most famous verse in all the Bible, and Psalm 23 is probably the most famous chapter or group of verses or passages in all the Bible. I can remember as a little boy, oh, seven, eight years old, something like that, I, I memorized. This was the first passage I ever memorized, and I can remember going and retelling it, reciting it to my mom, and she's like, hey, that's great, son. You should go call Mama and cite it to her. And, you know, this was back in the days when you had two phones in the house. One was on the wall in the kitchen, and the other one might have been in the master bedroom. And I can, like, I got the picture today. I can remember calling my Mama and uh, reciting Psalm 23 to her and her response. And you got to remember, she's she's old. Mississippi Delta, Grandma, well, good, you know. It's just like this slow, drawn, and, um, oh, old memo. Anyway, but it was like, the point is, like, this is so familiar with us, right? It doesn't matter, like, you think about it. In our culture, think specifically Paragool, Northeast Arkansas, there's not too many people that have never heard Psalm 23. I mean, there may be some. But it's so, so familiar. And an unintended consequence of something becoming too familiar is that it loses its significance. Or maybe, think about this. Think about that pile of clothes you got in the corner of your bedroom that you've been trying to put away for two or three weeks. Or two or three months. (laughs) I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there. Well, those were the clothes you wore at summer vacation in June. You ain't about to wear them again because it's about to get cold. But they're still sitting there. And you just don't notice them. Right? I got this square of paint on my wall in our living room. That's not the same color as my wall. It's been there for four years and I haven't fixed it yet. And I just don't notice it. Right? I'm familiar with it. Like, it doesn't bother me anymore. Like, that's the fear or the unintended consequence of something like Psalm 23. We become so familiar with it that it loses 
is significance. There's a pastor in uh, Great Britain. His name's Christopher Ash. He writes this about Psalm 23. And yet one of the problems with Psalms 23 is this anesthetizing familiarity. The words just trip off the tongue of anyone who's had any kind of exposure to Christianity in their upbringing or culture. So the words, they might wash over us, giving us this warm religious feeling of comfort, but without necessarily much or any understanding. So in that case, we need to press the intellectual and emotional reset button before coming afresh to the beautiful psalm. So this is the reason why we're spending time over these past few weeks and going forward, working line by line, verse by verse, through Psalm 23 to hit that refresh button on the beauty and the significance of what this psalm means for us day to day. And as a refresher, going back a few weeks, Jared started it with Psalm 1, talking about the Lord is my shepherd, and he talked about what that meant for us. And he highlighted these five things, like Jesus being our shepherd means that he is our leader. He sets the path and the pace of our life. He's our owner. He cares more about me than I care for myself. He's our provider, giving us what we need. He's our protector, defeating Satan, sin, death, hell. And he's our physician, healing us of our deepest wound and ultimately curing us from the disease of sin. Then the following week, verses 2 and 3, talking about leading us into green pastures, restoring our soul, leading us on a path of righteousness for His namesake. We learned that Jesus, as our shepherd, settles us down. Satisfies our deepest desires. Restores our soul. And then redirects our steps. And so now we come to verse 4 today. And it's quite of a drastic change. Even though I walk through the, va- through the darkest valley. Your translation may say, as mine does, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and scholars would, the NIV version is, is be, actually translates this better than the ESV that I read from. And most Bible scholars will say the best way that we could interpret this and translate this is something like valley of deepest darkness. And the shift here is drastic from what David has said in the first three verses. I mean, think about this. The Lord is my shepherd. He leads me beside still waters. He leads me to green pastures, refreshes my soul. Who don't want to go there with him? That's a great place to be with the Lord. Like who doesn't want to be in a place where there's plenty, plenty of food, plenty of rest, plenty of water, plenty of comfort? Who doesn't want to be restored? Like that's a great place to be with Jesus. It's a beautiful place. And if you were to Google like Psalm 23 art, that's the picture you get. You get the picture of the sheep laying down in the green pasture and the shepherd sitting on the rock holding his staff where all is calm and quiet and warm. 
But David gets to verse 4, and he shifts from this beautiful, picturesque idea to a valley of deep darkness. And he doesn't just change the picture of where we're at, where the sheep are at, and where the shepherd's going. He changes like his how he's talking. Those first three verses... He's, he's talking about the Lord is my shepherd. He leads me. He does this. He does this. He's my shepherd. And now he's entering into this valley of deep darkness. And his language changes from the Lord is to you. You comfort me with your rod and your staff. Even though I walk through the valley of deep darkness, I'll fear no evil for you are with me. It's not about God anymore. It's to God. And that's a big shift that we're going to work through. And David would be so qualified to understand what walking through a deep darkness is and meant. Listen, all right, first off, remember, David was a shepherd before he was the king of Israel. And when he was a little shepherd guy, Samuel goes to anoint David as the new king of Israel. The problem was, was the existing king Saul hadn't died yet. And Saul didn't like that and thought that i got to be on the lookout because David's going to come take the throne. So what does he do for 15 years? He hunts David down to kill him. There's no witness protection at this time. David is on the run for 15 years because Saul is after to kill him. That is a valley of deep darkness. Let's look at some other valleys of deep darkness that David walked through. He had the death of his very best friend Jonathan in battle. And if you go back and look at the story, the friendship between David and Jonathan, I mean, they were like that. Closer than that. David also had to bury four of his children prematurely. One of his daughters was raped. He had one son, Absalom, who rebelled against him and tried to overthrow the kingdom and take the throne. And David finds him hanging in a tree dead. David also had to lead the nation of Israel through three years of famine. So it is safe to say David knew what walking through a deep valley was like. Or dark valley rather than deep valley. Now as I'm working through this passage... How can I try to effectively communicate this passage to you of what it means? The only thing I know to do is to speak about my own valley of deep darkness. My darkest valley occurred in my life on June 16th, 2016. Now, some of you know I'm a lay pastor. And so what that means is, is well, one of the things that that means is, I'm not financially supported by the church. The church doesn't pay me anything to be a pastor. Um, I get no financial benefit from being a pastor. So that means I'm just like you guys. I got I'm, we're civilians, right? I got to have a outside job, like a normal job that pays my bills and provides for my family. And so I work for this company, McKesson Medical, and I'm in a lab diagnostic division. I'm a sales guy. I I, I like to say I can sell green paint to a stop sign. Um, and so it's like, that's all I've done. And I've worked for this company since 1995. 
And in June 2016, it was announced that our company was doing, and my division was reorganizing and restructuring. And I had a call scheduled for 11 a.m. with my manager that morning. And I knew that talking with some other close colleagues that a few people had that call, had the kind of the same call, but most people did not. So I began to know, start kind of put the puzzle pieces together, what's about to happen. And sure enough, after about a five-minute call, um, I was told that July 16th, 15th was going to be my last day with the company because my position was being eliminated, along with my manager. Now, here's why that was such a dark valley for me. I mean, some may say, just go get another job. Well, here's why it was a dark valley for me. One, my wife's stay-at-home mom, so we're relying on one income, and that was my income. Two, I have, at the time, we only had four kids, the youngest being 13 months old. My job afforded me tons of flexibility. Like, I didn't miss any of my kids' stuff. Or anything that my wife needed me to do extra during the day. Like, I can, I can just go do. And a lot of confusion had set in as to why I, my position was being, why my territory and position was being eliminated. My sales numbers were good. My territory was growing. I'd closed a massively large, one of the largest deals in the company regarding some diagnostic equipment. I had won many sales awards. And I started with this company as a teenager. So I didn't know anything else to do. So what was I going to do now? Where do I begin? As the provider and the protector <clears throat> and the leader in our home, in that moment, I left that call feeling hopeless and despair. What am I going to do now? That was the beginning of my valley of deep darkness. Now, some of you may think like, man, I've gone through a lot worse than that. And I want to say I hear you and I see you because I know our valleys of deep darkness are different. Some of you have lost close relationships through death or relational strains. Some of you have lost relationships through divorce. Maybe an unexpected diagnosis of a terminal disease could be a dark valley. Or just some loss in health in general. Maybe your dark valley could be a wayward child or rebellious child in the decisions that they're making. If you are a student, maybe your dark valley is being bullied or ostracized at school. Maybe a valley could be an unexpected disaster. You're in a car wreck with your only vehicle. You have a house fire that totally burns everything. Or tornado damage. Or flood damage. Or maybe there's some significant financial loss. Maybe an investment turns sour. Or like me, you lose a job and there's your income. And I know the, this isn't a 
an exhaustive list of dark valleys that we can enter into, but here's what here's some a few things I know. One, every one of us in here are gonna fall into one of these three categories. You're you have either walked through a valley of deep darkness, you are either walking currently in a valley of deep darkness, or you will walk through a valley of deep darkness. Like it's coming. And how do I know it's coming? Well, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, John tells us in John 16, 33, in this world, you will have trouble. And the NLT, uh, I love the way it renders the translation. It says, here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. So because of Jesus' words to his disciples... If you haven't walked through a valley of deep darkness, it's coming. It's coming. So now if we look at the text, I want us to spend the rest of our time wrestling, asking and wrestling through two questions. First question, how do I respond in a valley of deep darkness? Or maybe you could say it like this, what do I believe about God? in my valley of deep darkness? And the other question, why do I even have to walk through the valley of deep darkness just to begin with? Why am I going through this at all? Where's those green pastures at? Where's that cool, refreshing water at? Where's that rest at? Why am I in this valley of deep darkness? All right, so let's look at that first one. How do we respond? What do we believe about God? During a valley of deep darkness. So here's what David says. He gives us uh, two responses that we can have. David says, even though I walk through the valley of deep darkness, I will fear no evil. Okay? So because he's saying I will not fear, the other response, your first response could be that you would fear a valley of deep darkness. And let me first say, because of our fallen world, because of our own sinfulness, our natural response is to fear our valley of deep darkness. The circumstances of our darkest valley offer every reason to be afraid. We are afraid of the circumstance that got us in the valley, and we could be afraid of the outcome of the valley. So let me just say, if you walk in a valley of deep darkness and you are afraid, welcome to the club. That is our normal response. But David here gives us an alternative response. Because he says, even though I'm walking through it, I won't fear. I will not fear this valley. And why? Why can David not fear the valley? Well, it's because of what he continues to say. First, because you are with me. And if we don't hear anything else this morning, like if you don't, if you don't walk away with anything else, you got to walk away with this. You've got to get this. No matter what your darkest valley looks like, according to Psalm 23, 4, you are not 
walking through it alone. The very presence of God is with you. Not the idea of God, not a thought about God, not a representative of God. The very presence of God is with you in your darkest valley. And let's be honest. Man, them dark valleys feel very lonely. You feel very isolated in those dark valleys. Hey, and David knew that too. Because just 10 chapters earlier in Psalm, in Psalm 13, he's walking through a valley, and this is what he says. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? David experienced the fear in a valley, the isolation that he thought was in a valley. And I don't know what happened between Psalm 13 and Psalm 23 to change David's perspective. But he went from, I feel isolated in my valley, to now knowing the presence of God with him in the valley. I don't know what happened, but it did. And it changes his perspective. I got to think maybe he was reflecting upon his own sheep that he led as he would lead them through dark valleys. I mean, you look at a sheep. They've got one, they got no defense weapons. They don't have any horns, no big claws, no sharp teeth. They ain't fast. They got no, like, hard, their wool isn't like a hard shell, like a turtle they can hide into. And then they also repeatedly find themselves in the same situation over and over and over. If you remember, like, that first sermon, Jared wanted to share that clip of the sheep. Like, they rescue him out of the ditch, and what does the sheep do? He runs and jumps and jumps right back into that ditch. And just this past week, I was scrolling through my social media feed and there was another example a whole different sheep being pulled out of a hole going right back in the hole you know I, it's like my my news feed was just filled with all the ridiculousness of sheep i must have said sheep a couple of times and we know how our phones listen to us and then you look at it and it's like holy cow how's it know that but it was like sheep just repeatedly find themselves in the same situation over and over and over again And it's like David had to, I got to think David knew that. And I got to think that David reflected on that and said, you know what? The sheep, all they have is the shepherd. And so if they're going to find comfort and protection, it's not with what they have, but rather who has them. He's got to, I think he's got to believe, like, these sheep offer nothing. So if they're going to be looked after and cared for, it's going to be me doing it. And I think that's what Jesus is getting at here. His presence comforts us in our deepest and darkest valleys. We don't find comfort in what we have in our dark valleys. But rather we find the comfort in who has us in those dark valleys. And the second reason that we don't have to fear being in our darkest valley that David says is because your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
Now, these are two separate tools that a shepherd would use. When you think about a rod, think of something like about this long, kind of like what a king's scepter would look like. So it's it's kind of you know it's kind of thick. It's heavy heavy uh, heavy handed on the top end, and it would be used for a couple of different things. It would be used to fight off predators, kind of like a club, using it as a club. It would be used to manage the sheep. So at the end of the day, when the when he get when the shepherd would get the sheep to where he wanted them to be, it would kind of be his counting stick to make sure all the sheep are accounted for. It would be used to care for the sheep. It was like a doctor's examination tool as he would go and look through the sheep to make sure everything looked kosher, everything was healthy about them. And lastly, it was also used as a disciplinary tool to the sheep. Sheep get a little bit out of line, not listening, not paying attention. You'd use the sheep to kind of, hey, wake up. It's time to get back in line. And Philip Keller, we've quoted him a couple times. And just a reminder, like he's a former shepherd over in the eastern part of the world and now a pastor. So he reflects a lot on this passage from his time as a shepherd. He likens the shepherd's rod to the Word of God, to our Bible. And I don't think I disagree with that. Because I look back at June 16th, 2016, when I began walking through my darkest valley, after that call I had with my manager and the news that I received, Jesus, and I shared it with my wife, and I'm crying, Jesus really led me to Psalm 37. And Psalm 37, the specific verses that um, Jesus used his rod to me on where the steps of man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong. For the Lord upholds his hand. And I've been young and now I am old and I've not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously and his children become a blessing. As I read those words on June 16th of 2016, it was the shepherd using his rod to care and manage my heart. Jesus was telling me in that moment that I wasn't left to myself. He was not surprised by the call that I just had and the news that I just received. In fact, he reminded me that the steps of man are established by the Lord. So it wasn't a shocker to him that I just hung up the phone knowing that I had about 30 days left in my job. And as I found myself reading and rereading and rereading those verses, I began to kind of change some of the words to make it more personal for me. So I found myself saying, my steps are established by the Lord. Though I fall, I'm not going to be cast away. The Lord holds my hand. I've been young, I'm growing older, and I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He's always giving generously to me. And as I begin to just reread and reread that, Jesus, my good shepherd, was taking his rod and caring for my heart in that moment. The other tool the shepherd has is a staff. 
And it's not like a rod. It's like what we normally see a shepherd holding. It's the long, slender stick. It's kind of curved at the end. And the staff is used to guide and direct, rescue sheep as they are as they're kind of moving along. Uh, he would use the, the shepherd would use the curve to pull the sheep out of harm's way. He would take the long end of the stick to kind of you know nudge. Let's go this way, guys. We're going this way. Philip Keller talks about how a shepherd usually has a handful of favorite sheep in his bunch and that he would always take that, a shepherd would be walking along and take the end of that staff and just gently touch the sheep to remind the sheep, hey, shepherd's here, I'm here. The shepherd uses the staff as a reminder that, hey, I'm walking, we're walking this way, and I got us. This is where we're going. It's okay. Everything's going to be fine. And Philip Keller would liken it to the, the, how the Holy Spirit works in our valley of deep darkness. Again, going back to my own story of June 16th, it wasn't just Psalm 37 that the Spirit brought me to, but it was also Psalm 77. And the... <clears throat> There I read these words, I will ponder all your work and meditate on all your mighty deeds. You are the God who works wonders, and you have made your might among the people. The Spirit was saying to me, in that valley of deep darkness, it was like he was using himself as a staff to guide me, to remind me, hey, I'm here with you. I've never failed anyone. I'm not about to start failing anyone. And I'm walking in this with you. So, according to David, we can choose to respond in fear. Or we can trust in the presence of God in our valleys to bring us comfort there. And I think if we truly grasp that reality, that Jesus' presence is with us to care and comfort us in our darkest valley, how we experience it is totally and drastically changed than how we would otherwise experience it in fear. I think of how, like, what does experiencing a dark valley in fear look like? Well, here's what I think it looks like. Fear produces a lot of anxiety. Because everything seems out of control. And I like control, personally. And if I'm in a place of a dark valley... And I'm afraid I'm going to kind of control everything. Not only that, I'm going to try to numb my fear. So I'm going to run to vices. It might be an over, I mean, it might be an overindulgence in food or Netflix. You might run to alcohol or drugs or whatever it may be, overworking. Whatever it may be, if we are responding to our valleys from a place of fear, it leads us to anxiety and an anxious heart, which then leads us to numb all that fear with everything other than Jesus. So let's take a step back and let's say, okay, how did I res Maybe you've walked through a valley of deep darkness. And just ask yourself, like, what was my response there? Or maybe you're walking in currently in a valley of deep darkness. Are you afraid? Are you trusting in the presence of the Good Shepherd? 
Look, I don't have a three-step process for how to move from fear to not fearing. I don't know. All I know to tell you is what I did. And what the Spirit did for me is He led me straight to His Word. And that's how I overcame fear that I was feeling. That's all, I mean, I don't, I don't have like a 12-step process of moving from fear to non-fear and trusting in the goodness other than getting in His Word in your valley. So, now let's wrestle with the second question. Why do I have to walk? Why do I even walk through this valley of deep darkness to begin with? If Jesus is my shepherd, and part of him being my shepherd is I trust that he is my leader, that means he determines the path and the pace of my life. Why is he leading me through a valley of deep darkness? And if it's true, if Psalm 37 is true, that I read earlier that the steps of man are established by the Lord, man, I got, I got a lot of questions. <laughs> Why are you leading me in a path of deep darkness? Where's them green pastures you was just talking about? Why can't we go there? Why can't we hang out around the cool water? Why am I in a valley of deep darkness? And if you're my shepherd and I'm trusting you with the path and pace of my life, then your path brought me through this and I got a lot of questions. That's fair. That's perfectly valid. Here's how I think we answer it. First off, let's look back at a shepherd's life and how he tended his sheep in ancient Middle Eastern times and even today in the Eastern region of the world. In the late spring, after the snow has melted from the mountains, the shepherd would take his sheep, and takes his sheep today, up a long, slow journey to the top of the mountains, into like the alpine region of the mountains. He gets there before the summer heat hits. And up there in the alpine region, the climate is much better. Can you imagine being a sheep full of that wool in a 100-degree heat? Well, so to keep them from that, he takes them to the alpine regions where the temperature is cooler, the water's cooler, the grass is green, and the sheep have a more manageable climate. Now, when the, late autumn, when the snow begins to fall in late autumn, he brings the sheep on the journey back down the mountain into the valleys, into the pastures, where now, where they escape the summer heat, now this is the winter solace, so to speak. Like, this is better down here than it is on top of the mountain. So now we have green pastures here. We have water here. And on those journeys both ways, he has to take them through valleys in which the sun does not hit. So the valleys between the mountains that he's journeying the, she journeying the sheep on make the sheep susceptible to predator attacks, to hunger because there's really not a whole lot growing there, and to thirst because there's really not rivers running through there. So why does he go that way? Because he knows if I stay here with the sheep, 
they're not going to experience what's better for them at the top of the mountain in the intense heat of the summer. And if I leave the sheep at the top of the mountain during the winter months, it's going to be too cold for them, so I've got to get them back down to experience a better life for them during the winter months. And in both instances, he's walking through valleys of deep darkness with his sheep. That's not unlike how the Good Shepherd leads us and why he would lead us through valleys of deep darkness. God leads us through valleys of our deepest darkness so that we can experience him in ways that we never have before. We become more aware that we are in his complete care and attention day and night, just like the the sheep are aware of the shepherd's care and attention. These valleys provide more intimacy with Jesus than we would otherwise not have had we not journeyed through our darkest valley. To quote, finally, Philip Keller, last quote from him. He says, As with ordinary sheep management, so with God's people. One only gains higher ground with God by climbing up through the valleys. Here's a text from a member of our church who has walked through the darkest valley of their life. They write, I'm getting to a place of gratefulness for the mess that's become my life. Because out of the ashes has come such beauty at the same time. Beauty that would have never been seen without first feeling devastation. I've been more dependent and more in step with the Spirit than I am right than I ever have been right now. I've seen and felt the love of Jesus through his church in a real and tangible way. I have a closeness with my kids that was not there before. Suffering brings about deep appreciation for the little things in life when you take that suffering to Jesus. So I choose to be grateful for my suffering because it has made me fall more in love with Jesus than I knew was possible. I think about my own valley back in June 2016 and what I experienced in those days from the Good Shepherd. How I experienced Him, what I experienced from Him, has radically changed the way I've walked through any other hardship. I can't tell you the times I've countlessly recounted the goodness of God during hard seasons. I can't count the times in my mind and in my heart that I've sat and pondered His faithfulness. I can't count the times that I have thought about how my steps are established by the Lord so nothing comes as a shock to Him. I can't I can't count the times that I have rested in His presence with me. And I truly believe all those things would not have happened had not I experienced walking with Him through a dark valley. 
So if you look back and you say, why in the world, as a good shepherd, is the path and the pace of my life walking through this darkest valley? I think it's, we can be safe to say it's because Jesus wants you to experience him in ways you never have before. He wants to take you places with him that you thought you could never go. And know him in ways that you would never otherwise have known him. In closing, I think, just remind us that we're all in one of three categories. We either have experienced dark valleys, and we may experience some more. Or maybe you're walking through a dark valley right now. Or you've never walked through a dark valley, but a dark valley is coming. And the invitation today from the Good Shepherd is to simply trust His presence, His care, and His comfort. And that's hard to do. And here's where I would lead us to. Jesus knows that that's hard to do. Jesus knows your heart. The propensity of your heart is to fear and to not trust. Therefore, He has gone before us in complete trust into the Good Shepherd, the Father Himself. And here's what I mean. Jesus has gone through valleys of deep darkness well before we ever have. And you can look in the scriptures of times over and over where Jesus was in a dark valley. But the one I want to call our attention to is in Matthew 26. Jesus enters the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples. And he tells them, he said, I'm, my soul is sorrowful even to death. And Jesus knew very well that his crucifixion was a matter of hours away. He was about to be betrayed by one of his closest friends, one of his followers. And then he was about to go be tortured all night long and then hung on a cross. He knew that was coming. He knew the pain that was going to be associated with that. And yet in his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, Father, not my will, but yours be done. So in the face of physical death, he trusted the Father's path and pace. For his life. Jesus knows, as our good shepherd, what walking through a valley of deep darkness is. And he's so empathetic. He's so caring. He's so comforting in those moments because he has walked them for us and before us. So our invitation is to rest in the goodness of our shepherd as we walk through our valleys of deep darkness. Let's pray together.